Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. When you get back to your seats, remain standing with me, if you would, for just a moment. To all of the ministry in the house, the pastors and ministers in the house, I see Brother Young here tonight. We're so honored that all of you are here. We give these men great honor tonight. Amen. Honor you in Jesus' name. Our pastor, our pastor is is sick. We mentioned that this morning. He's he's not well, and so we want to remember him in prayer, and uh, we want to remember him in prayer. Let, let's pray right now, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, God. Lord, we pray for our pastor tonight. We thank you for the shepherd, God of this flock of this church. Lord, we honor you tonight for giving us this man. Lord, and we pray tonight your healing. God, we ask you tonight to bring healing to his body. You know exactly what he needs. You are the creator of his body. And I pray that you would touch him even now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Remember him in your prayers if you would. And uh, we have, we are blessed with the best pastor and pastor's family in the whole world. We really are. So we're excited about what God's doing at God's house and God's house offering, but we're excited for what God's going to do in this revival. Amen. Amen. God's going to do great things. Wasn't this morning just wonderful? Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm better because of the word this morning. Brother Woodward, we're so honored that you're here all the way from Fredericton, New Brunswick. I butchered that a little bit, but we're glad you're here. We want you to take your time tonight. How many of you are ready for the word of God? Amen. Let's, let's welcome the man of God as he comes to bring the word. Praise the Lord, everybody. That sounded good. Praise the Lord, the Anchor Church. Oh, that sounded better. So grateful to be here. So thankful for all of you faithful saints of God. Grateful for the ministry that is here in this place tonight. Grateful for your pastor. Um, you know, he's like the Lord. He's everywhere present and nowhere absent. And he's probably watching. <clears throat> so don't tell him I told you this. But it could be that with him pouring himself into the kingdom like he does, that Jesus just wanted him to have a little bit of rest today. And I think that's wonderful. Now, I'm sure pastor doesn't think it's wonderful, so don't tell him I told you that. But I'm praying that God would give him a healing, strengthening touch and preserve his strength, his energy, his voice. Your pastor doesn't just invest in you. He invests in the kingdom around this nation and around the world. Aaron and Cindy Bounds are two wonderful, wonderful people of God. You are very blessed. If I lived in this city, this would be my church. And Aaron Bounds would be my pastor, and I would think I had just hit the apostolic lottery. You're so very blessed. Now, pastor carries the mantle of an evangelist, 
and I carry the mantle of a teacher, so this is a little bit weird and different because I'm preaching a revival in his church, but the Lord works in mysterious ways. That's not in the Bible, by the way, if you thought it was. It's just something we say. I love you all. Thank you for being here on a Sunday night. Um, on this first night of revival, I'm going to preach about revival. I thought that might fit. I don't want to just preach into a vacuum tonight. I speak into the Spirit. Preaching is prophecy. Now, prophecy can be a big wide thing. Prophecy sometimes foretelling the future, that happens, but most of the time prophecy is forthtelling what God is saying right now to his people. And so preaching is a division of prophecy. And I speak to you, but I also speak into the atmosphere of this church and into the spirit realm of this city tonight. And I speak to the heart of every saint of God, and there are so many of you here tonight. And there's something in your heart. And the reason you're here faithfully, and the reason you support Pastor's Vision, and the reason you're going to be here this week during revival, is because the Bible describes it as deep calleth unto deep. There's something in you that knows that even though it's so great, there's something more. There's something higher, something greater, something deeper. And so before we're seated and we proceed with the Word of God, I'd like you to lift up your hands and the most important weapon in your arsenal, your voice, lift it up and just begin to worship God. Praise is a weapon. Praise is a weapon. Let the rebo hoshe stababak to koye. Irebo lodo lobasya sababakutama. Irebo lodo shesaba. Serebo letaraba. Letelebo it's just us tonight lift up your voice and pray in the spirit if you're filled with the spirit pray in the spirit ah ah Oh, I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. You may be seated. The word revive has many facets of meaning. It means to restore or renew, to return or reform. To revive means to refresh and recharge and to reintroduce something, to reinvigorate something that is almost dead, to regenerate or repair. It's got many shades of meaning. To reactivate, to resupply, to rejuvenate, revitalize, so many different meanings. To revive something means to reawaken it or reestablish it or rekindle it or even resurrect it. The Latin word that we use in the English language, revivere, it means to live again, that's revival, to live again. Now the noun 
revival that we talk about all the time. And we say we're in revival meetings this week. The noun revival doesn't occur at all in the King James English Bible. But the verb revive occurs eight times. Uh, the, the noun revive occurs and the verb reviving occurs two times. And maybe it's appropriate that there's no noun for revival in the English Bible because it's all verbs, revive, revived, reviving, because revival isn't a passive word, brothers and sisters. It's an action word. And so to live again or to resuscitate or to, to, to basically bring something back from the brink it is a resurrection. It's a rekindling of a flame, a spark that maybe was nearly extinguished. And so in Scripture, although the, the, the noun revival isn't there, the concept of revival is everywhere. In the Old Testament, revive comes from a Hebrew word, hayah, which means to live or to be alive or to save or recover or quicken. And then in the New Testament, revive comes from a Greek word, anazeo, which means to recover life or to live again or to stir up into flame. And so that is revival. And that is why pastor has called this week of services. Uh, he doesn't have a vision for just more services. We don't just have a vision for just a few more services. The reason we reach and pray, the reason we gather and worship, the reason that we hold revival weeks is because we are hungry for something more. Leonard Ravenhill said, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, when the church catches on fire, you don't have to advertise it because the community will already know it. Now we say Zanesville needs revival and Ohio needs revival and the USA needs revival. But I'd like to correct something. Only something that once possessed life can actually be revived. So our culture actually can't experience revival because our culture has never been spiritually alive. So let me tell you how this works. Our culture can't experience revival, but the church can. And when the church experiences revival, then culture is impacted. Sinners can't experience revival, but oh my goodness, saints can experience revival. And when saints experience revival, then sinners are impacted. Transgressors can't experience revival, but travailers in prayer, they can experience revival. Oh my goodness. And when Zion travails, and when saints pray, and when the church is revived, then the world around us is affected. Quite plainly, brothers and sisters, they will not get hungry for God until we get hungry for God. But if we get hungry for God, it creates a hunger in people. Now, in this generation, in this generation, I am not talking about the young people. I'm talking about everybody that's alive right now in this generation. There is a shocking 
lack of prayer in this generation among Christian people. And that has been a challenge for God's people throughout many centuries, and it's precisely why the prophets would often thunder at Israel with their convicting words. And they still echo down through the centuries. Hosea said, Come and let us return to the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us. After two days will he revive us. Someone shout revive. In the third day he will raise us up and we will live in his sight. Reviving and raising and living. It's all part of the same thing. Isaiah said this. For thus saith the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Whose name is holy. God said I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And Habakkuk said, and I love this verse, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk prayed and he said, God, I'm just asking you in the middle of doing life, in the middle of the years, in the middle of the days and the weeks and the months, God, revive your work. See, we can't stop everything we're doing to have revival. We gotta go to work, we gotta work jobs, we gotta earn money, we gotta pay our bills, we gotta raise our families, we We've got to do all of that. So what we need is not to just push pause for a few days and have a special week. What we need is for God to revive his work right in the middle of everything else we're doing. That's some home Bible study teachers that all of a sudden the Holy Ghost walks in like a whirlwind into that kitchen and sits around that kitchen table with you and tears begin to flow and God's spirit begins to move. That's what we need, revival in the midst of the years. The cry of prayer is the cry for revival. And the cry for revival is the cry for prayer. They are inseparable. You cannot separate revival and prayer. Neither one of them, neither the cry for revival or the cry of prayer will be satisfied until God rends the heavens and he comes down among us. Those cries of prayer and revival, they will not be quiet until carnality is conquered and the church rises up. The cry for prayer cannot sit idly by while the church is at ease in Zion and our culture is at ease in perversion and the world is literally on its way to hell. There's something in the children of God that says we can't just do business as usual, church as usual, just services as usual. We've got to see a move of God. Oh my. 
And that hunger is here tonight. It's kind of scratching at the edge of your mind. It's kind of pushing at the edge and the corners of your heart. It's a hunger. If you give yourself to it, it can change everything. If you open yourself up to it, it can totally revolutionize your life, your family, your home, your church, and even this city. Revival, if you'll read the Psalms, it is the prayer of the Psalms and it is the promise of the Psalms. Psalm 85 verse 6, this is the prayer of the Psalms. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Let me tell you when the church rejoices most and when the church rejoices best. It's when new souls are being added into the kingdom of God. You talk about going home after a Sunday pumped up in the Holy Ghost. It's not when we just have a good song or a good sermon. It's when lives are changed by the power of the Spirit of God. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? And this is the promise of revival. Psalm 138 and verse seven. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, God, thou wilt revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of mine enemies and thy right hand shall save me. I don't care what is going on in your life. I don't care how hell has attacked or what kind of enemies you may be trying to fight off right now. I'll tell you what, revival is the answer to everything because the spirit of prayer is the spirit of revival, is the spirit of God. And when revival gets let loose in a church, it changes everything. In the last letter he ever wrote, Paul exhorted Timothy, that wonderful young man, that pastor of the Ephesian church. He said, Timothy, I want to make sure that revival never stops because everything the church is doing, Timothy, depends on revival. So here's what he wrote in the last letter he would ever write. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up Guess what? That's Anasio. He said, Timothy, I want you to revive the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. I dare to speak to a great church in Zanesville, Ohio, and I dare to tell you tonight, everything you need is already in you through your baptism in the Holy Ghost. You don't need more of God to come down out of the heavens. You need to let more of God flow through you every Every day of your life. They sang about it tonight. There is a river in the desert. There's a river inside of you. That's why there's a river in the desert. And if you let it loose, it moves and ministers everywhere. Oh my goodness. Would you lift up both your hands? Would you just begin to pray for a moment and just pray something like this? God, I stir up the gift. I stir up the gift. 
Now, this is one time, I don't say this very much, this one time we need a little volume on that prayer. Most of the time, I just kind of let you do whatever volume you want, but not when you're praying. God, stir up the gift that is in me. I want to stir it up right now. I want to stir it up for my family. I've got a backslider in my home. They're not serving God right now. They're pushing back against the Bible right now. They don't have any interest right now, but God... I'm asking you to stir something up in me. I stir up the gift that is in me. I remember when I received the Holy Ghost. God, stir that up. I remember how I felt when I was baptized in Jesus' name. Stir that up. I remember a service when I got my miracle. God, I stir that up. I remember when you healed me. I stir that up tonight. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, somebody clap your hands, all ye people, and shout under God with a voice. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, the devil survived that one, but he's not expecting this next one. Let another wave of praise rise up from the lips and the voices and the words of the people of God. If you can see what happens in the spirit, the devil's thinking, okay, I just got to survive this just for a minute. I just got to wait them out. They'll quit in a minute. They'll stop in a minute. They'll settle back into normal. They'll settle back into routine. I just got to hold off for a minute. What the devil isn't expecting is for somebody to say, no, tonight's the night. I stir it up. It's not going back to normal. It's not going to stop. Yes. Berre boshe bahateke. Erodo lobo sere baha. Somebody needs to stomp into your house tonight and say, every place that the sole of my foot treads, God has given that to me. This is my house. These are my children. This is my marriage. Oh my. The idea of a double portion in the scripture is one of a double blessing. If you get a double portion, that's a double blessing. And the expression was typically used in the Old Testament to refer to the birthright, the double inheritance received by the oldest son. Hannah's husband, Elkanah, gave her a double portion because he loved her so much. After his many sufferings and losses, Job received from God a double portion, twice as much as he had had before. And the old prophet Isaiah, he said that a double portion would rest upon God's people, and when it did, it would turn everything around. Look at this, Isaiah 61. For your shame, you shall have double and for confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess 
the double everlasting joy shall be unto them. I speak into the atmosphere of this church. I speak into the atmosphere of this city. I speak into the atmosphere of your life and your home. There's a double portion that you have not yet seen. There's a double portion that you have not yet imagined. It's coming to you. It's like a river flowing through the desert. It's headed for your house. It's headed for your family. It's headed for your future. Elisha was a younger man who had been mentored by the prophet Elijah. He saw how God fought for that old prophet. He had seen all the incredible miracles done at his word and by his hand. And he had seen the influence that one man, the old prophet Elijah, had had on the entire nation of Israel. And that's why... Down deep in the heart of that young man named Elisha was birthed a desire. It got a hold of him. It would not let him go. He wanted to see even more than what the elder had seen. He wanted to do even more than what the elder had done. He wanted to experience even greater things than what the elder had experienced. You say, he's haughty. No, 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 no. He was hungry. That's what it was. He wasn't proud. He was just passionate for the things of God. And so one day, that old prophet, Elijah, he looked at that young man, Elisha, and he basically said, what do you want? And he didn't have to stop and think about it for one split second. He didn't have to take a poll of all of his friends. He didn't have to wonder what anybody else thought he should do because he'd been feeling it for a long time. It had grown in his spirit. And so when that old prophet said, what do you want? He just said, I pray thee that a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Here it is. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah, the old prophet, said unto Elisha, the young man, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha, it just came out like a, a roar. I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. To have a double portion was costly then and to have a double portion is costly now brothers and sisters to have a double portion is impossible with man but it is possible with God to have a double portion of God's spirit will change you so that the new you is quite unrecognizable to the people who used to know the old you to have a double portion is a hard thing. Look at this, 2 Kings 2 and 10. He said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, if you're walking with me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. 
To have a double portion is a hard thing. But if we will follow in the footsteps of the previous prophetic generation, God will give us the desires of our heart. One of the things that endears your pastor to me, I love him for this, is that he is tied, heart, mind, soul, loyalty, ministry, anointing. He is tied to the elders that gave birth to his life, spiritually speaking. I love it when Pastor Aaron Bounds sings an old song. I love it when he reaches back and tells one of those old stories, Beverly and and I, we spy on you folks all the time. We see this sanctuary quite frequently. Do you know there's a revival that rests here? It's not just for your pastor and his wife and your leaders. There's a revival wanting to break out, bust loose, flow through every saint of God, every family represented by this church. It's there. You can feel it. It just quivers in the air. It's waiting for somebody to get hungry enough to say, I want a double portion of your spirit. Oh my goodness. Run that up to me, would you please, bro? Bring that up to me. I promise I'm not going to pour water on anybody tonight. Thank you. That old prophet, like every old prophet, carried a mantle. And so, Elisha, the young man, his whole ministry was governed by this question. This is what drove him. This is what pushed him. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? It's not enough for me to serve as a tour guide to what God used to do. I don't want to be the caretaker of a Pentecostal museum. And so people come to service and I say, hey, come on over here, come on over here. We put a glass case over here because there used to be a sister or a brother that prayed all night in this sanctuary. We used to have prayer meetings where God's spirit would bust loose right about over here. Oh, I remember about a decade and a half ago, somebody got a healing right over here. Come look at all this Pentecostal museum relics in all these glass cases. I defy that. I refuse that. I'm better than that. I want more than that. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? If this generation is the most ungodly that has ever lived, and it is, then we need the greatest revival that we've ever had. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Look at this. 2 Kings 2 and 14. When Elijah, the old man, the old prophet was taken away, Elisha stood there and he looked up and fallen down from the heavens came the mantle of that old prophet. And Elisha walked right back to the water that Elijah had smitten. The old prophet smote the waters of the river with his mantle and the waters divided and they walked across. And Elisha was bold enough to walk right back to the same river, walk right up to the same edge of the waters and smite it with that same mantle. And this is the question that governed his life. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha, the young man, 
went over. Where is the Lord God of the previous prophetic generation that preceded us? Where are the miracles that they told us about? Where is the revival that they experienced? Let me tell you, I can't speak for you, but I speak for me. I can't settle for less of God than they had because in my generation, I need more of God than they had. I can't settle for half of their anointing in this generation. I need a double portion of their anointing. I love my heritage and I love my elders, but I don't just want to talk about my heritage. I want to walk in my heritage. Oh, let that hunger out again. It's there. You can feel it. It's just kind of that nagging little thing that says, you can have this. You can do this. You can pray for this. I'd like somebody to kind of get your fists in the air and just pray with your voice. Pray a militant prayer. I hear it over here. I hear a little bit over here. I'm waiting to hear some from back over there. Some right in here. Somebody lift up your voice and just pray. There's a river of revival that wants to break loose. It's not going to break loose in our streets until it breaks loose in our seats. Here's what most people miss. Mantles of the elders. Mantles of apostolic power. They're always falling. We've sent a lot of elders away to heaven. We've sent a lot of pioneer preachers and missionaries away to heaven. Every one of them that carried an apostolic mantle, their mantles are falling. But you know what? We're not lacking mantles. We're lacking people that want to pick them up and carry them and use them. There is a mantle of anointing and prayer. There is a mantle of soul winning and power. There is a mantle of apostolic authority that wants to fall on somebody in the midst of this revival. If you want it to be you, stand to your feet, lift your hands, lift your voice higher than that and just pray for me. Look at that. Look at that. I want it to fall on me. I want it to fall on my family. Anybody need a miracle in your family? Would you just wave your hand like that? You know who's the most responsible to pray for that? You are. Would you lift up your voice and say, God, that's the miracle I need. That's the miracle I want. That's the miracle I'm believing for. Now pray for it. Pray that that backslider comes home. Pray that that body is healed. Pray that that addiction is broken. 
There's enough prayer power in this room to crack this church wide open in a revival like you've only begun to imagine. You've seen such great things. You've seen such great harvest. Don't get comfortable in the last of the last days. The greatest days of the anchor church are dead ahead of you. I'm almost done. Be seated for a second. Elijah, the old prophet, had done eight notable miracles during his ministry. I won't even take time. And now, slowly but surely, it was looking like Elisha, the younger man who was now the prophet, the younger man who now carried the mantle, surely and slowly, it was looking like he was certainly going to become the double portion prophet. He had prayed for it. Let a double portion of your spirit rest upon me. It appeared that he would have greater revival in his generation than ever before. He did eight miracles, then 10, then 12, then 13, 14, 15. Almost double the number of miracles that Elijah had done. Almost. But then Elisha died. I don't know if there's anybody here who ever has felt like your dream died prematurely. Or your prayer, it just didn't come to pass. Like your miracle had somehow been aborted. Like you had buried your promise from God in a cold, dark grave. And you had to walk away with tears streaming down your face. I don't know if you've ever felt like it. Pastor Raymond, I prayed for a double portion. I prayed for a revival in my home. I prayed for it, but it didn't come to pass. And I felt like I've had to walk away from it. And if I could be honest tonight... It may be that Pastor felt to have this week a revival partly for me because I've kind of given up praying for that. I've kind of given up believing for that. I'm just kind of continuing and putting up with the status quo in that area because I prayed and it didn't come true. I believed and it didn't happen. I strived. I was pushing in prayer, but I didn't see it. There's an odd little story in 2 Kings 13, that teaches us a powerful principle. Elisha had prayed for a double portion of Elijah to rest upon him. And sure enough, he did almost double the number of miracles. But when he died, he was still one miracle short of being a double portion prophet. But God wasn't finished yet. What you've got to understand, brothers and sisters, prayers never die. Even when prayer warriors die, prayers never die. If you could see in the supernatural realm, there are prayers of people that pastor preached their funeral and we buried them out of this church and they're in the cemetery tonight, but their prayers are still circling like a cloud of angels flying around this church. The reason some of you are saved tonight is because somebody that's no longer on this terra firma, they prayed for you and their prayer came true. 
prayers never die. Can I plead with you in this revival? Do something for God with your one and only life that's going to outlive you. Don't just be concerned about God bless me today. God bless my salary. God bless my job. God bless my needs. God bless. God give me a new this and a new that. Don't just be concerned about your little space on this earth. Pray for something to be unleashed through your life that if God tarries that you will pray for something. You'll pray something into being that outlives you. Here it is. One of those weird stories in the scripture, and there's a lot of them. Second Kings 13. And Elisha died, and they buried him. Over and done. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. And they were dangerous, and people were afraid of those bands, those roving bands of thieves. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, they're having a funeral, that behold, they spied a band of men, those roving bands of thieves. And they were scared. And so they stopped, you know, respecting their friend so much. They just heaved him in a nearby cave. They cast the man, but the cave they just happened to choose as they threw his body in there and headed for the high hills, they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down, that's polite King James English for when his body tumbled in, bashing his head and his feet and his limbs and his torso against the rocks all the way down into that cave. And when his body finally stopped, it just happened to come to rest, touching the decaying, dusty bones of Elisha. And when that dead man touched those dead bones of that prophet who believed in a living God, he revived and stood up on his feet. And Elisha got his 16th miracle after he was dead and gone because God always keeps his promise. He got to be the double portion prophet. Oh my goodness. Music team, come on back. After Elisha's burial, that group of men, they were burying their friend. And when those Moabite invaders came, in terror, they just tossed his body into the sepulcher of Elisha, in, in Elijah. And Elijah, the old prophet, Elijah means my God is Jehovah. Elisha, the younger prophet, whose bones are now in the sepulcher. His name, Elisha, means my God is salvation. So you could compare Elijah to the Old Testament, my God is Jehovah, and Elisha, the young prophet, to the New Testament because Elisha, my God is salvation, it means exactly the same as the name Jesus, God saves. The Lord Jesus himself compared John the Baptist to the prophet Elijah, and Jesus compared himself to the prophet Elisha. Both Elisha, the young prophet, and Jesus, both of them began their ministries at the Jordan River where the mantle of the Spirit descends on them.
Both of them cleansed lepers. Both of them healed the sick. Both of them ministered to widows in desperate circumstances. Both of them raised dead sons back from the grave. Both of them opened blind eyes. Both of them multiplied food for the hungry. And both of them, Elisha and Jesus, defied gravity. In Elisha's ministry, a heavy axe head floated to the surface of the water. And in Jesus' ministry, you might remember, he walked on the waves of the water. But more than all of that, they both even have a follower that betrays them. In the Old Testament, Gehazi betrays Elisha. And in the New Testament, Judas betrays Jesus. But more than any of that, more amazing than all of that, both Elisha and Jesus are laid in a tomb of death that ends up becoming a place of resurrection. (laughs) Now the difference, of course, is that God had to raise up that man whose bones, whose body fell against the bones of Elisha. God had to do that. But in the New Testament, Jesus came out of the tomb all by himself because he was God in that body of flesh. Almost done. I hope you're ready to pray tonight. This is the first night of revival. This city can't be revived unless God's people are revived. (laughs) While the bones of Elisha brought earthly life to one man, the blood of Jesus brought eternal life to every man. So just a question tonight. What prayers, what dreams, what requests, what hopes have died in your life? And you're still faithful. I don't, I don't mean that. You're still faithful. You're still involved in church. But you've buried some hopes. And you've mourned some dreams. And you've walked away from the grave. And you've thought, that'll never happen. That'll never live. Jesus' empty tomb proclaims something. You can experience revival. Revival means to live again. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. A double portion revival is not only possible. A double portion revival, listen to me, is inevitable. Someone is going to pick up the mantle. Someone is going to have a great share in the last day's end time just before the coming of Jesus' revival. The question is not whether it will happen. The question is whether we will be right in the middle of it. Haggai spoke these words. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place. So somebody said, this place, in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. I will read a section of several verses. Don't be put off by me reading six or seven verses. 
I want you to lift up your hands right now and I want you to receive these verses into your spirit. The prophet Joel. Be glad then, ye children of Zion. Somebody can start rejoicing right now and rejoice in the Lord your God for he has given you anchor. He's given you the former rain moderately. He's gonna come, cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month all at the same time. And the floors are gonna be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And God said, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. My great army which I sent among you. Is there anybody in here you're needing God to restore something in your family? And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. I'm never going to let you down. I'm never going to not come through. You shall know that I'm in the midst of you, that I'm the Lord your God and none else. My people shall never be ashamed. And then we always read these verses. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Anybody in this room have a loved one and you want them to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost this year? So we're praying that God pours out his spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and the handmaids, everybody in those days, God said, I will pour out of my spirit. Anchor Church, there's a mantle that wants to fall in this set of services. It's not just another set of services. It's not just a guest speaker. It's a season in your church. Pastor has called it for a reason. This season is for a reason. I thank you, great church. Look, we're already in the altar. Everybody else, you're welcome. Don't leave yourself out tonight. I just got one mantle up here, but I'd like you to reach up your hands like you're expecting a mantle to fall on your head and say, God, I want a double portion. Families, if you're standing near a family member, I want you to connect together. Husbands and wives, parents, grandparents, children, siblings, I want you to connect together. God is gonna revive our homes. God is gonna revive the saints so that this city can be converted, so that this city can be impacted. By the time you get on that property at the Y Bridge, God has already going to pave the way. He's already going to prepare miraculous things for you. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.